Hey guys, and welcome to today's episode of Give It The Beans. Now, this guest I have on today needs no introduction, but I'm going to do my best to give him one. You may know him from the legend, the myth of the man that dieted for about 48 weeks and lived to tell the tale. Or you may have known him for the hundreds of DMs I've got about how he likes to cook his oats. It is the one, the only, Mr. AJ Morris. How are we doing, buddy? <laughs> yeah, that's a good intro. I like that. No, I'm really good. Thank you, man. And uh, coming to the end of a, a very busy year for myself. So giving my body a little bit of respite now and backing down a little bit on the workload, backing down a little bit on training to an extent because I've just had a an absolute sort of thriller of the year. But it's it's been it's been very positive. But it's also and hopefully we'll discuss it a little bit in this in this podcast. Been very eye opening in a lot of ways. Um, not not so much me personally in terms of how I can push my own physique, but probably more within the business side of things. This year has been a big eye opener. So um, yeah, as I said before, we got on air. Really appreciate you having me on, mate. You've had some fantastic guests, and uh, proud to be a part of what you do. Thanks, my man. I much appreciate it. And for those of you that don't know, um, the first words I ever said to AJ was on an Instagram message. I think it was two years ago. And uh, one of my clients has a soft spot for you, buddy. Um, and she, she, <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember now. She, refers she actually to, met me at the Scottish show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I will keep her uh, name anonymous. But she referred to uh, you as, as AJ Morris Hot Stuff in a one-to-one session when I used to do one-to-one. And I, I like, literally, <laughs> after the session, I messaged you straight away and was just like, hey, dude, because I, I think you followed her back. And that, like, made her year, life, up to that oh, point. Okay. Um, no, no, she's cool. <laughs> but what what I would say is that there's maybe some listeners out there that perhaps don't know a lot about AJ Morris, who he is, and what he does and what he stands for. So I was just wondering, can you give the listeners a brief intro um, for the ones that have been hiding under a rock that don't know who you are of your bodybuilding career to date um, and your coaching to date as well, because that is uh, massive and and huge in uh, not only the natural bodybuilding scene but the the UK bodybuilding scene in general. So if you could give us a little bit about who you are, what you do, that'd be fantastic. For sure, of course. So essentially, I started sort of the, the bodybuilding side of my life in, in 2014 when I first decided to diet down for a, a teenage competition with the BNBF. So I was I was into weight training for, for a while, but it was primarily for a sort of subsidiary to my motorsport career. So I was racing carts from the age of eight until about 15 years old, 16 years old. Okay. Um, it's funny now, a lot of the guys that, not necessarily I was racing directly against, but who were in carts at the same time as me, potentially in slightly different sort of leagues and and slightly different competitions, are now in, in Formula One. So like oh, Lando wow. Norris and Alex Alban, they were all in, in carts at the same time as me. So it just... It's crazy how different directions people would take. Yeah. But that was that was basically what, what I wanted to do. Like when I was when I was eight years old, my dad was very, very into motorsport. I grew up as a baby, like two, three, four years old, watching the F one on the on the sofa every every weekend and, and that was what was drilled into me. So but I was very competitive across everything. So I was competitive in, in school, I was competitive in everything. I just loved I loved doing well and exceeding. Um so that's what sort of got me into the gym. And then from a motorsport standpoint, the reason why I stopped was just funding financially. It just couldn't continue. Couldn't make the next step away out of like kart racing into, because even kart racing is 
a ridiculous, ridiculous amount of money that you can pour into that sport. And the ones that were doing well were the ones with a lot of money. So I wanted to get into something where my my money wouldn't influence my result. So if if I, if I did something, it was because I won because I worked the hardest. Yeah. Or I worked the smartest as opposed to having, having the most money. So found the gym. I, I made substantial progress quite fast. And there was a lot of people that were like, you know, training with me at the same time. And I would make a lot more progress in terms of strength and tissue gain like before them. But most of that wasn't, in my opinion, I have average genetics. It was mainly just because I'd show up more often and I'd be a better person with my nutrition, really, because I'd, I'd know the importance of nutrition from the get-go. Um, and then 2014, I approached one of my friends in the local gym and just said, hey, could, you, could you prep me for a show? And, you know, he was, a, he was just a friend of mine. So he said, yeah, you know, 50 quid a month, let's go. And uh, that was my sort of like, first introduction to coaching. So we had like a, a weekly check-in. He did my macros for me, my training. First time I ever had a training split, structured training split. Before that was just what do I fancy, kind of arm day, chest day, whatever. So and then that, that took me to my first show and I competed and I, I, I placed third in my first ever show and just got hooked immediately. And uh, it's funny because I remember all that time up to that first show, my, my motivation for bodybuilding was not within the natural scene. So I always thought, oh, I just, I just do like one natural show and... And, and then once I've done a natural show, I'll, I'll, I'll go down a route which will get me to, you know, where Kai is at or where such and such is us. This was before I knew about the implications of genetic potential and all of these different things that would influence, obviously, how far I can, I can get in the sport. And when I went to that first natural show, and I, I, this is probably in one of your questions as well, but I saw, I saw the caliber of the physiques at that show, and I was like, this is where I want to be, like, I want to be here. If I can achieve that, and I saw a guy, I remember his name, Jamie Bishop was one of my first sort of natural physiques that I ever saw. Um, and he worked, he worked with a company called Multipower back in the day. He was sponsored by them. He was like sort of like top of where I wanted to be in, in sort of the regional shows and, and winning British finals, etc. And um, I just remember wanting to look like that big time after that. So I was first show done, motivation through the roof. Um, and then I, I sort of knew that because of that fire that was lit, I wanted to just make everything about bodybuilding. So I went into doing my PT course, and in 2015, I went full-time PT. I left sort of my retail job, went full-time PT, started coaching a few people online, and actually took my first ever athlete to stage in 2015 as well. He was just a local local friend of mine, just... Like we trained together multiple times, and he said, "Look, can you coach me?" And I was like, at first, I said no, like go to the coach that I had. And I thought about it. I went home and I was like, I slept on it like quite a few times. I was like, Should I do it? Surely I can do it. And I think I think I can do this. Um, and so I said, "Fuck it, like I'll, I'll do it. And I'll take you on." And his name was Marcos, and he actually ended up winning he came third in his first ever show in like a men's open category and then and then he did then he did juniors the UKFBA juniors which which obviously I did and he actually won the same title that, that I won and he went went to worlds 
Um, didn't win Worlds though, so I always sort of pin that against him. <laughs> you stuck with that one, mate. You stuck with that one. But you know, he, he had all of that experience, and that was with with my coaching. That sort of his results skyrocketed. Like I'm a big believer that if someone wants to get started coaching in comp, comp, competition prep coaching, you have to have one 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 good good thing, one big good thing happen, and that's unfortunate because some of the best coaches won't ever get someone to a world championship. Some some of the best coaches won't ever get British finalists. Um, but you just notice how all these like busy top tier competition prep coaches are like churning out the top the top athletes. And, and and that 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 momentum is just it's just like a, an absolute sort of steamroller for them in terms of good clients because once they see success like all the ones that have the genetic potential just start getting shoved towards them so and that's what I've noticed you know without like obviously I've I've leveled up my coaching but it's it's the type of people that are coming to me now are are already higher up the chain which is obviously what I want to do. Um, but that kind of kick-started it, for sure. And then ever since then, basically, I've just been um, non-stop. The goal has been bodybuilding, coaching. Um, I work with still an array of of sort of more general population clients, um, but they've been with me for, for several years, and, and they just basically have me as an accountability tool. Um, and uh, and I, lo- I still love coaching them, for sure, and I love the balance that I can have between the two, the two different sides of coaching, but my heart, my passion is definitely within taking people to the stage, um, and and that's that's pretty much sort of the business side of things. A very sort of quick wrap up on where I'm at. I've I've taken an off season since 2017, and my goal is to come back next year in the uh, open bodybuilding category, um, specifically the lightweight category because that's where I, I probably fit the best. Um, means I have to get under 154 pounds to sort of meet that weight limit, but means that I'll be at the top end of that weight category, as opposed to being at the very bottom end of the middleweights. And uh, you know, you said before we got on air, you're interviewing Andrew um, in, in the next episode or so, um, and um, he's the kind of athlete that I'd have, I'd have to go up against in the middleweights, and he's just you know formidable. And that's years and years of, of training to fill out his frame for his height and. Right now, I'm not I'm not at that level, um, but uh, for my for my height and for my frame, I can I can probably do okay in a lightweight category. So that's the goal. Um, that's the goal next year. So it's pretty much an update on on me. Yeah, and I think that when it comes to you said you're not there yet. I have no doubts, and I think that the listeners have no doubts that you'll be there whenever you choose to be there in regards yeah. to you know going up against the likes of, of Andrew, but. Um, I think that your results this year uh, just ultimately show your passion for bodybuilding. I think that the last time I think I saw a post that you put up, it was like 40 placings you had within shows this year, uh, all inside the top six. Uh, And there was like 15 first place, something like that. And then however many more, sorry, I'm just trying to remember. But um, I think that those, those stats alone, like stats prove everything, but also just the... The, the level and the caliber and the condition that you the athletes you produce um, is awesome and you're not just a guy that sits uh, you know in his living room at the end of his phone you you know you flew to New York last week you know that's why we couldn't record last week and then the week before you were at the British finals and and then I think a few weeks before that you were down you, I didn't see you but you're at the UKP so, so the fact that you're so active um, with your athletes just shows how much you actually fucking care which is I think lost 
in industry today it's all about like let's just get a win get them out get a win get them out um, but if, if we come back to the topic of discussion which is all about natural bodybuilding of course and you, you know you're one of the well you're the first male guest that I've spoke of that is completely all about natural bodybuilding and I wanted to speak about a scenario that I had with a, a client the other day um, who's preparing for a photo shoot and, and I try to plant the seed of doing a show and, and he was very much off that idea because he would be going up against guys that were assisted but I told him a little bit about the Natty Feds and he was kind of like, oh wow, like his eagerness to compete simply changed and it kind of made me think, I think I instantly assume people know about it, but for those that are unaware, could you maybe, you know, give the, the listeners a brief summary of the Natty Feds out there, the sort of progressions that you can go from your regionals, your British, your worlds, um, because you have been through the, that process itself and I think that you're quite humble in the fact that if you've not told people your actual accomplishments to date which I'm going to let you do. <laughs> uh, thank you. Um, so the nat- the natural side of things is is vast and it's and the, the popularity and the density of the competition is is massively increasing year on year. Take us back so the, the comparison is, is crazy. If you, if you take us back five ten years ago there's very few athletes that were and the top three at British final that would even place at a qualifier right now, the standards have just risen dramatically. That's because of the level of knowledge shared. Um, as much as people hate Instagram and all these old school bodybuilders say, you can't film your stuff in the gym, you can't track macros and things like that. Those are the reasons, pretty much. <laughs> like Those are some of the reasons why we're producing incredible levels of, of, of athletes and, and seeing the true natural potential that we can really get. Obviously, five years ago, there were still genetic freaks, and they'll always be there. But the natural scene is um, is certainly very competitive. So in the, in the UK, we have we have really sort of three three federations that that um uh, that, that I encourage people to compete with. Those are the UK FBA, which is run by Lee and Amy Kemp, and those are probably like two of the nicest individuals I've ever met in my entire life and they've just done an incredible more more than you can imagine amount of, of, of stuff for me in terms of helping me out. Um they you know they they helped me out, Lee helped me out like quite a bit when when my mum passed away and like just like very sort of personal things like that. Um and don't get don't get it twisted like I'm in no way, shape or form in to get better results by competing with them. They, if if I place dead last, they'll place me dead last because they're 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 how they they're how they should be with me. They 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 place me wherever I need to be placed, um, and they've been honest with me. They've been honest with my athletes throughout. They're a very just a, a super solid federation that don't do favoritism, um, and just do a great job at running shows. Um, so that's my sort of piece on the UK FBI. I always say that because they've they've done the legit like for me they've done they've done the most in terms of influencing my life and also making making it amazing for for athletes. The progression model that they have is you do a regional, you do if you get top three, or in some shows where it's more competitive, you're considered at a British level. You'll get an invite to the British finals, the British finals. <clears throat> you'll compete for the opportunity to go to a world final. The world is always pretty much held in in the states, whether it's New York. This year, the year before that was LA. Year before that was Boston, um, where I competed. And uh, as you said, to tell the listeners that I, I ended up winning Worlds in 2017. It is uh, as a world champ. 
Um, <laughs> so that was that was you know very that was my last competitive season, a very successful one, and and so I'm feeling a bit of pressure going into the 2020 season because I've got a I've got a lot of things to live up for. I guess I'm I'm a, I'm a returning champ, so I've I've got to bring something that's worthy of a returning champ, in my opinion, and I, and I think I, I will. But you know the the pressure is is something that can either crush you or uh, build you up, and I think right now it's it's definitely it's definitely building me up, um, which is good. So then we have the the BNVF, which are also equally a fantastic federation run by Vicky and Guy Addison, and uh, they've put in years and years of effort to build that federation. And the lighting's phenomenal. The photos you get from the shows are phenomenal, taken by Fivos. You might know Fivos, um, and. Uh, yeah, just a, a great federation. Again, the progression model is very similar to the UK FBA. Um, so you, you can end up qualifying to go to the DFAC World Finals, which are held in Miami um, every single year. So, and they, they actually sometimes invite s- several in the in the class. So if you place sort of top top three, sometimes invite the top three, sometimes it's the top two. Um, I actually got an invite in 2017 as well, but I knew that I was doing the UK FBA. Um, and I, I had to go for one or the other kind of thing. I couldn't do both. Yeah, yeah. So I kind of just said no and then rested all my laurels in the UK FBA, which was after. And I was pressurized, <laughs> pressurized a couple of weeks because I was like, I've just turned down a trip to go and be in Miami and I've got all the pressure on me now to try and get it done to get the, the other one. But um, I ended up doing it. So, um, yeah, that's the BNBF. And then finally the MPA. Um, it's run by Michael Phillips, and he's, a, again, a fantastic guy, um, unfortunately, and I, I don't want to sound like I'm digging or anything like that, I'm not, um, but I'll just be honest, the Federation has a lot less numbers than the BNBF and the UKFBA. The BNBF and the UKFBA are the most competitive natural bodybuilding federations in the UK, bottom line, full stop. The MPA does churn out some fantastic shows, does churn out some fantastic competitors and some great opportunities. But the numbers are much lower, um, hence why this this season I didn't have athletes compete, and that's just because I don't feel like it's a use of their money or time that's productive. Because a, a competitive day knackers an athlete. So if I choose a show, like some people said, for example, my figure client Grace, they were like, "Oh, I get her to do PCN." I was like, "What? So get her to do like what eight shows by the end of the season?" Like she was already knackered. Yeah. So this is where the role of a coach comes in. You have to sort of limit where your people go. You can't just say yes, 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 yes to everything because they'll just end up being absolutely smoked and look rubbish by the end of the season because we all know the longer you spend in a deficit, more chances of muscle loss, um, more chances of, of strength reduction in the gym, um, more chances of them potentially falling off plan. It just a whole host of issues arise as soon as you lengthen the deficit or you open up the opportunity of a show day, which again, you get post-show blues and it's just weeks and weeks of, of extra stuff that you just don't want. Um, but yeah, it tends to be also if you're, if you're um, a bodybuilder, men's, men's open bodybuilder in any category, I wouldn't recommend doing the PCA unless you're awesome. Like, so unless you're like, Solomon, who competed in the PCA's classic and ended up winning. That was nuts. Yeah, unless you're that him, like, unless you're not nutty as a natural, um, then you just, you're just going to get wiped in the PCA. Like, I get wiped in the PCA. Um, and 
I think most men's physique naturals are get wiped in their PCA. Um, if you're a toned figure girl, you can probably do for PCA. Like Grace could have done well at PCA because a lot of the toned figure girls are natural and have a t- naturally attainable physiques. Um, Holly Gallagher is a good example. She she did everything. She must be knackered by now, but she did PCA, UKD FBA, and BMBF. Went to the BMBF World Finals, um, and also I think she was. Don't think she did the PCA British, but she placed second at a qualifier. So she she did well as a natural in, in PCA. Um, but yeah, that's basically a roundup. But ones I, I, I do heavily encourage naturals to look at is you could have and BNBF. Go watch a show because you'll think, oh, natural bodybuilding, this must be shit. And trust me, when I film a natural show on my, on my story, the amount of replies I get from assisted bodybuilders saying, fucking hell, look at that condition. <laughs> so it's just bodybuilders yeah. who've never seen anything like it in their lives. Yeah. I put up a photo of Chris Paling's ass on the UKDFBA <laughs> finals day, and it's like the most shredded glutes I've ever seen in my entire life. And I got like 40, 50 DMs immediately, like, holy shit, this can't be natural, this can't be natural. And I'm like, mate, the guy's 137 pounds, he's just <laughs> taken all the body fat off. You know, like, yeah. if he was on gear, I'd be, like, sending it back. <laughs> 100%. Um, 100%. Yeah. I mean, I knew, I know Jamie that came second in that classic class, and that's, I'm doing PCA Classic next year. Um, oh, sure. So, nice. so to then see, uh, I think, I can't remember what post, someone referred to him as the Natty King, and I was like, hey, AJ is the Natty King, is he not? Um, but <laughs> not, that's, not that King, <laughs> But no, um, not to, yet. To, to see what he could achieve naturally was... Uh, was, was something awesome. Uh, I think it was a big statement to say, well, you know, here's an actual bodybuilder winning a, a classic <laughs> PCA show, which which is amazing. I think that how you went into describing each each fed and the progressions and how especially um, the link between, you know, crossover between females wanting to do PCA um, and your likes of your BNBF UK DFBA um, is class. And I 100% agree with you because there's some amazing tone figure girls that or Natty, that you just go, holy shit, like, I I know she's not tone figure, but I'll use Steph as an example, she's got bigger fucking delts than me, and I'm assisted, I'm on gear, and, you know, I'm doing my posing beside her, and I'm just like, Steph, what the fuck? <laughs> the, the crazy thing about Steph, like, the crazy thing about a lot of ridiculous physiques is its shape and its structure, like, not taking away Steph's incredible muscularity, but like you know, when you're around her in like normal, like in she's in normal normal clothing, she 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 doesn't look like um like a IFBB physique girl or an IFBB bodybuilder. She but when she as soon as she hits the front relaxed, like holy shit, <laughs> like what the fuck? Yeah, it's just all her insertions are just like perfectly placed. Uh-huh. Um, and her waist is mini, her lats are huge, and shows shows how much bodybuilding is about like how you're put together. Um, which is, of course, unfortunately quite genetic. <laughs> yeah. Now, yeah. one thing I want to pick your brain about, I know this is kind of off topic a little bit, was you mentioned about the return next year and you talked about whether it was going to sort of pump you up, motivate you, or you said kind of cripple you. Now, that really like resonates with me on, I think it was Jordan Peters said the same words on a, a podcast in regards to how, why he pulled out a show and seen that correlation because, for those of you who don't know, AJ is a big fucking deal in the natural bodybuilding scene. I think that any pressure that you probably put upon yourself, uh, that you feel is probably that you place upon yourself. But 
how do you deal with that? How do you cope with that pressure? Because if people are, if you're saying you're going into a show and people are expecting, not that not that there's any expectations that's been placed upon you, but you perhaps put them upon yourself. How do you deal with that stress? Is there any outlets, you know, management systems you put in place that perhaps someone of a high level, say, you know, could, could use? Sure, hundred percent. So I think in general, like besides competing, and I'll talk about that in a second. But besides competing, this year has been probably the most high pressure, high stress year of like probably my entire life in a lot of ways. Moved in with my girlfriend. I've moved house. I've part. 40 plus competitors on stage I've traveled most weekends to shows the pressure has just been immense like and the amount of like you mentioned yourself you know the the sort of the personal side of things I have with my clients in the sense that I go to the shows and I'm there for them in the crowd and things like that when I get home from competing like I tell I tell Danny this my girlfriend like I, I feel like I've competed myself yeah. and so this this like at the end of the year now I'm like my body's catching up with it big time because it, it knackers you a lot, it, like physically, mentally, mostly, knackers you big time. Um, so some of the, the strategies that I've I've put in place with regards to sort of um, more stress management and just sort of trying to keep level headed is definitely having a bit of a, a stress management routine. So first thing in the morning, trying to wake up and do some form of meditation using the Headspace app. Um, that has been pretty pivotal. I've clocked up almost a thousand minutes of, of headspace time this year and I only started using it in summer. So, um, it's just, it just essentially just grounding yourself a little bit because it's so easy for me to wake up, grab my phone and crack on. And the issue is with that is that I almost find that when I was doing that, I'd, um, it's really weird. I almost just completely switch off to my emotions and then at some point, everything would catch up with me. I just feel like very odd and almost a bit down for out of nowhere. And I, I don't want to say like I've, I've dealt with like depression or anything like that because I don't think I have. I think everyone has their off days. But I think this year has definitely challenged my mental health the most because of how busy I've been and how much empathy and passion and time that I've poured into, into my guys. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I think grounding myself has been been a big one, like actually waking up and trying to feel how I feel rather than just cracking on. And then at the same same time, sort of, when I get home from training, I've had a few bits to do, finish, like a few bits that I've got to do, and then I have a, I have a curfew of like 9 p.m., which me and my girlfriend both have because for the listeners, my, my girlfriend's called Danny, Danny Bosworth. She coaches as well. And... Um, so we do exactly the same thing. So we could quite easily spend all evening just programming or finding something. There's, you know, there's always something to do, isn't there? There's always something to find to do. So you could just do that, and we we did that for you know a few months, and we realised we're like, this is just ridiculous. Like our sleep's going to shit, stress is high. We don't spend enough time together, um, and uh, so we have that curfew time, sort of nine pm, switch off, watch some something on Netflix. Like forget about the day a little bit, and like phone phones away at that point. Like we don't sit on net like watching Netflix on on the phones, answering DMs, just away. And then alarm set for the next day, go to bed, kind of thing. That's made a huge difference. So I encourage anyone that has high stress lifestyles or job or coaching, whatever, to to have that sort of morning routine and an evening routine, and that should keep you pretty steady. But 
definitely it's, it's you know it's been been challenging and even like like i said like right now i said on my story yesterday like i tried to cop out on these times where i've needed to like pull back on my own training so i run i run deloads where i take you know three or four well, four, four or five days off the gym um just because i find they, they work the best for me and every time i've deloaded over the last like four months has been fitted in with just crazy shit <laughs> Because I'm like, oh, I can't train properly when I go to Scotland, so I'll deload. Oh, I can't train properly when I go to New York, so I'll deload. So I've just smashed my body and then gone on a trip with poor nutrition, high stress, and low sleep. And then Which is the I've tried to get back into training now. Yeah. And, um, and uh, I'm just absolutely smashed within one week of training. So I'm, I've just, I literally had a chat with Danny like, yesterday and I was like look I'm gonna I'm gonna have to actually just do a proper deload now I'm just gonna have to give in so I'm actually doing like from today onwards I'm taking actually four days off and just you know chilling out obviously doing things like this but relaxing because I just can't burn the candle at both ends yeah so to speak um so that's that's uh that's really where I'm at, at the moment it's, it's like understanding your body having a routine um and uh, and uh, you know those those things are they're pretty big, and you need to take them seriously. Otherwise, you 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 know you can feel pretty rubbish, pretty fast, and it's scary. It really is scary. But um, but yeah, that's what that's what I'd say. Um, you talked about obviously next year. Next year is really just a repeat of that, but with more blocking out a bit of social media. Unfortunately, uh, I was talking to because one of the benefits of going to worlds is the conversations I have. So I just, basically, whenever I go, I just quiz every athlete. It's like, what do you do? How do you get here? Um, what, what was your training like? What was your nutrition like? Um, uh, what do you think about this? What do you think? <laughs> so I just uh, ask questions, because those those questions are the best, like the anecdotal feedback from like, high-level athletes. So um, um, I was asking a couple of guys about what, I sh- what they think I should do with social media. And a lot of them did encourage, like, you know, share the training, share how things are going on your story, but don't necessarily like blast the feed with like lots of physique updates because you'll just get an absolute array of opinions and some of them are not good um, and some of them aren't conducive. Like you look fantastic or you're ready and you're like 10 weeks out. And the thing is, you can't unless you share every single pose in very standard lighting, you're never going to get the best honest representation of feedback on social media. And no one ever posts every single pose in honest lighting. Everyone adds a bit of structure. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and I'd be I, I'd be lying if I said that I haven't added things like that because the insecurity of the pressure of trying to live up to an expectation is there. And I'm sure, like Cal last season with his first ever competitive season, being such a competitive sorry, being such a successful coach already um, this year, his first time competing. I'm sure he felt a big amount of pressure to like bring it in and like be in condition. And I've had chats with him about like how the fact that he was so focused on bringing just the condition side of things because that's almost like a trademark of yeah. being a good prep mm-hmm. that he probably lost quite a bit of muscle in in the chase for that condition. Oh, mate, um, it's unbelievable. And, yeah, and um, I think you know looking at his rebound phase it's almost more obvious that he did lose quite a fair chunk um but then again like you need to make those mistakes to be better and uh you know he definitely still brought it but that 
that was a sign for me. I was like, okay, fuck, I need to, I need to stay in the lane of, of what makes me a good bodybuilder, stay to my consistent rate of loss, and just follow it, follow it textbook. Like treat treat myself because I coach myself. Treat myself like any other client that I'd be coaching because I know I can do a good job with those guys. We just gotta do a good job with me and not be a fool to give into the pressure. So. Yeah, that's, um, that's where I'm at with that one. Yeah, love that, dude. And the main reason I ask is that I recently just went fully online um, as of last month and the whole switching off and whatnot, it's hard to do at the start. So I figured that if I'm thinking that, there's bound to be other people out there listening thinking that. But what I'm going to quiz you about next um, is mostly about your travels. So if I think back to um, the podcast with Josh that was released today, Josh Bridgman, and Cal, we spoke a little bit about sort of protocols when competing abroad. And I thought, considering that you have competed abroad yourself and have had athletes competing abroad, um, we all know that we all run different protocols in regards to food on the plane, when we eat, when we don't eat, because of the impacts on circadian rhythm. So I just wondered, you know, what would be your protocol um, for, say, on the day of travel? Um, you know, how many days would you plan on getting there before uh, the show and, and kind of your why behind everything and um, just give the listeners a bit of an insight of what made by Morris is all about sure so with the UK FBA which is the only opportunity that my athletes will ever have to sort of compete abroad or the BNBF as well the flights are paid and they're booked so you have one option you, you unless you want to pay for the flights yourself which eradicates the fully funded side of things then you get there with normally around about 24 to 72 hours before you get on stage. So you've got a very short window of time to be able to change anything or manage your, your, your in-flight nutrition uh, amongst trying to peak. So if I took it back to like 2017. I did a lot of sort of thinking about what I needed to do for myself. And I quizzed a lot of people that had traveled out there. And I was like, okay, what's the water retention like? Because the flights, the flights did like, Boston and New York are very similar, you know, about about seven hour, eight hour flight. Um, and luckily on both times we had flights where it was like a day flight, so it wasn't like a red eye where you were, you know, you're meant to be sleeping or not sleeping. It was like the goal, the goal of the flight was to stay awake for both times because you fly early in the morning. So if you have a flight, I'd, I'd, I'd book a flight like that on the way out because it just, just works better because you can plan your food a lot better when you're meant to already be awake. Yeah. Um, so what tends to happen on a flight like that is you'll, you'll probably end up fin finishing your meals when you land a little bit earlier than you normally would in the UK time, um, which allows you to then sort of have a bit of a, a PM physique update and see how things are settling down after the flight, see if there's any sort of like fluid retention. And then you have one day, the next day bef before the show to sort of regulate. Um, and you might be surprised to hear it, but I keep things very similar like very, very similar. I really don't change much at all. So I know that some people will go carbless um, and do carb-free meals for the flight um, in, the, in an attempt to reduce water retention from any of the, the carbohydrates consumed whilst in sort of in, in, a, in a position where you're probably not going to or might not digest them as well as you would if you were on home soil or in normal time windows. Um, but I found with, with both Grace... Um, myself and a couple of other people that I quizzed about it, having just sort of like a, a regular day of eating, so not not necessarily a low day or super high, definitely not like a super high day or anything like that, 
having a regular day of eating tends to be be the best at that stage. Now, the reason why is I find that if you go carbless and you've got all the steps in the airport, all the sort of stress and angst about flying and all the energy expended through worrying, thinking and like not probably not sleeping or relaxing on the flight at all, probably going to end up like burning quite a lot of energy. So unless you're putting a, a good amount of fat with those meals, I reckon you're going to land and be pretty flat. And then all you've got is 24 hours, especially if you're a big guy or, or a decently muscular, muscled female. All you've got is 24 hours to, to fill up. So if you're going to do that carbless approach, you should get there at minimum 72 hours before, before your show day. So you've got a couple of days to sort of you know, re-establish status quo um, with fullness because I think you'll just be ending up a little bit too flat um, by, by the time you actually hit the stage. There's also the world's, the running of the show is just absolutely horrendous. I'm not sure if you saw it on my Instagram, but the show ended at 3 a.m. Yeah, it's crazy. And, uh, yeah, it started at 8 a.m. and ended at 3 a.m. So the way they run it is just absolutely awful. It's probably the worst way you can run a show ever. Um, but they're splitting it next time over two days, so it makes a lot more sense. Um, well, it was already split over two days, just <laughs> the wrong fucking way. Um, so, 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 yeah, I basically keep things the same fluid-wise. I keep things the same with Grace. We were at that point using um, a natural diuretic product called H2O Remove. Um, and that, that seemed to just sort of help any sort of subsidial fluid gathering throughout the week itself, but also on the plane. Um, flight socks as well, just to keep blood flow to, to the lower limbs whilst you're seated. And also, the, I, I heavily encourage, like, as much as possible, if you can book an aisle seat, get an aisle seat. If you can't, then just piss off the person next to you and like get up as much as t- much as possible and walk up and down the aisles, go to the toilet, like try and stay moving. And if you can, like even for a bit of the flight, maybe like you know half an hour to an hour or so, like just try and stand somewhere and just don't sit for a bit um, because your body's not used to sitting for eight hours unless it's meant to be asleep. Yeah. So the look is quite different when you land. Um, for, for me, the seated aspect of flying when I flew, I, I remember actually being a good thing because I'd spent my whole prep just on my feet <laughs> and sitting and watching movies was actually a really good thing for me. I ended up getting to Boston and looking probably the best I'd looked in a long time just because I was forced to not do anything. Was that- and uh, I'm an absolute, and I need to control this next year, but I'm a, I'm a sucker for just endless expenditure like doing as much as i can um and that that shot me in the foot big big time in 2017 with with leg fullness um but i I won't won't let that happen again was that the time that you were doing all your check-ins on the one day and you used to do it standing up in your kitchen yeah i mean i think i remember uh, that instagram story from a couple years back yeah by um by 2017 i think i was doing I was spreading them across certain days, but I definitely had more on some days. And uh, up until very recently, I still I still do stand most of the time. It's only really recently that I've got a desk chair because uh, I've just realised that I'm burning probably a decent whack of calories with no appetite by just standing. So I'm like, I need to get a chair because I need to just <laughs> <laughs> to just stop standing for a bit. Um, but I generally prefer standing. Like I find with um, 
video check-ins and like voicemails and stuff like that I, I probably sometimes articulate my, myself a little bit better when I'm when I'm standing up I don't know what it is about standing up I just feel a bit better about doing it um but yeah the expenditure wise it was towards towards the end of that that prep it was just far far too high um in effort to get leaner when in reality I was already as lean as I could get for my muscle for my muscularity that's that standpoint but, you know. yeah yeah no I think that that's pretty good insight to to what you do when you've got clients sort of competing abroad and whatnot and I think it gives the listeners a good indication of the fact that you know what you do within the natural body own realm um, is very similar to what happens in the assisted realm but I still th- I still think there's people that out there that are probably wondering um, you know that it's vastly different and, and whatnot but you know obviously the the drug side of things is the main difference but when we talk about the training the nutrition and, and everything else like from your experience can you maybe explain why like they are very similar um, but more so like is there anything that a, a natural bodybuilder should look out for and I'm speaking about perhaps you know barriers they might face you know you talked about uh, you lost a little bit you know fullness in the legs um, yeah. so could you just give us a little insight of why they're similar and what to maybe look out for sure so I mean essentially when you're obviously using exogenous hormones you're all you're doing is enhancing what already is a natural physique and you're just taking it to another level of recovery capacity and muscle mass building quality. So the, all you do to build muscle and to recover doesn't, doesn't change. It doesn't change at all. Like all, all the recovery modalities that we do as naturals applies for assisted. All the, um, the monitoring of, of training performance is the same. All the nutrition is the same. Like there's just no real huge differences at all. Um, however, like obviously the way that you guys control blood work and things like that, of course, needs to be a little bit more monitored than the natural. However, naturals and blood work and still applies for sure, especially when people roll into issues. Um, I've had a, quite a lot of female clients that are totally natural. Have well, even a few males actually as well have full blood panels done because something just doesn't add up and then something comes back either low test or thyroid function is off um and that's pretty easy to diagnose as a coach like it just something's not right and you can spot it in the data like you know, a 154 pound girl like gaining on very low calories it's uh, either adherence isn't there which then you dig into that and then you know, you're work so um the the the, the other things that i think people why why people think there's a difference because I think um, a lot of the time, unfortunately, there's a lot of assisted people that think, and this is not any any people of a certain level. Like these are probably entry level people, but they think that the 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 work is going to be done for them with the assistance, so that you know they they don't <laughs> they yes. don't like train properly or track their nutrition well, and I think that's half the time why naturals are actually leveling up so much is because they don't have that kind of thing to rely on yeah. we have training we have nutrition and we have sleep and if we don't nail any of those we're just going to stay skinny for the rest of our lives so it's um it's a big it's a big thing that i think assisted guys need to realize like look up to the assisted guys who are doing well and you know think about what they're doing with their nutrition and how they're being meticulous with their training like that needs to happen so the same thing applies the consistency and application of of everything a natural does needs to be 
looked at by an assistant guy and think, okay, fuck, I could I could do this differently or that differently, and I could learn off him or learn off learn off her. But uh, I think a lot of assistant guys probably stuck in their ways and. They won't ever want to learn from a natural. Um, Mate, but uh, like, but I've actually, uh, luckily, over the last sort of few few years and months, I've had more assisted people contact me for just training and nutrition, um, and obviously with someone else handling their their assistant side of things. And that's because they want to learn from me about how I handle training and nutrition when those two things are so heavily regarded to make progress as a natural. So. Yeah, I think it's um, that, that's pretty much it. I think that you made a, an amazing point, and you guys can't see this, but I was literally nodding my head and giving AJ a thumbs up because <laughs> I think that this concept of, oh, it's just the gear, the gear will do everything, and it's it really not. And, and I've come across um, one client recently who's left who just refused to get blood work done. I said, we're not prepping unless we get it done. It's been two seasons. Um, so he, he choose, chose to go a different path and that's all well and good but it was always the concept of the drugs will do the work and he was like I want to take more drugs I want to take more drugs and I'm like you fucking sleep in five hours a night yeah how's it about we run less drugs and you you know we, we run your bloods and we sleep more nah I don't want to do that and like I I, I've been that guy like years ago I used to think in my naivety before I was educated um or, or had a little bit of common sense that, oh, just take a bit of this and I'll get fucking huge. And I didn't even track calories and have a logbook, didn't have this next thing. I look back and I go, Vaughn, what the fuck were you doing? But I guess that what I love now is that you've got information shared so freely in the industry about like literally just nailing basics. And I think that's one of the reasons why you said like a lot of natural bodybuilders are leveling up and looking better and winning like PCA regionals, like going up against guys that are on gear and it's it's just it's what I respect about you guys so much is that you have food training sleep and recovery and you just look that good and I go damn that's that's awesome but I guess that maybe takes us swiftly on to our, our next question which is that is maybe a, an old school thought process of it's just the drugs you know we're going to take X amount we're, we're going to eat chicken and brown rice and that's what we're going to do versus like like camp new school which is perhaps more what exactly you've just said all episode. And I guess what I wanted to quiz you on is, is there elements in your training made by, made by Morris of any old school methods or is it just all new school or is it a combination of both? I definitely think it's a combination of both, for sure. I think some of the training concepts that I like and I believe in are definitely more within the old school, you know, keep it simple, basic movements, you know, kind of thing. And uh, I take a lot of inspiration from obviously Jordan on a training training sort of side of things and Dorian styles of training. Like I like I like that kind of training and I, I resonate with it. And I think as a coach you attract people that resonate with your thought processes. So luckily like I'll get clients contact me and they'll be like they'll be very happy with the initial setup and the split because it resembles something that they enjoy and they love they love doing. You know, a slightly lower volume style of training, you know, no massively prescribed RIR, of course, to a degree. We have to prescribe a little bit of RIR here and there just to understand where fatigue management is at play, but not a whole program with RIRs across the whole sort of mesocycle. And I think a lot of my clients would just be like, 
like, well, what is this kind of thing? If, if they were given that, which is fair enough, fair enough, because everyone's entitled to their opinion and there's plenty of people that wouldn't like my kind of training and they would like something more sort of based on what the science says in terms of just focusing very, very much so on, on building volume across the course of a block. Um, and then from a sort of like a recovery standpoint, sleep, you know, biofeedback, all of these things, like I'm very much more in the, the new school kind of, kind of camp. I, I do agree there's lots of metrics that we can take that are very beneficial to us as physique coaches. Um, and there's been times where I've poo-pooed them and thought, ah, fucking hell, that's like way too complicated or that doesn't make sense or you don't need that. And uh, I think opening my eyes to how these can be helpful and then, of course, trying to implement them with myself and clients has been like, okay, shit, these things are actually giving us a bit of, of helpful data here and that more more coaches that potentially poo-poo them just because the science has one paper saying that it's poor um, should, should open their eyes a little bit more and at least should try and put them into practice a little bit because uh, as soon as you put them into practice, you start to see sort of the um, how efficacious they are. Um, so I think a bit of both. You're right. You know, I'm in, I'm in between the two camps for sure. And for anyone that doesn't follow AJ, he can squat. Is it one eighty four fifteen? Yeah, the other day that that broke me completely, mate. And, uh, <laughs> that set one set. I I saw you do a seven plate pendulum. Now I don't know how <laughs> what that pendulum was like, but I like the most I've done. I was gonna say the most I've done is five at, at front line. So when I saw that, I went, "What the fuck is this? Like, is it some special bananas this guy's eating, or what is it?" And I fucking give me an abundance. But for those of you <laughs> that perhaps don't follow AJ, when we're speaking about old school and new school, he definitely embraces the concept of getting pretty brutally fucking strong. And you could just see that you have like a standard, this just relentless pursuit of just being better every fucking week, every fucking day for your own training, your clients, whatever it is. Um, and that's why I was like, I've got to get you on the podcast because that's something I value and it's exactly what my brand's all about. But I guess being aware of time, and I think this is going to be a big one, um, there'll be some listeners out there who are, you know, with competing become becoming more and more popular um, and, and that's across the board. It's natural assisted, every federation, it's probably numbers are going up year in, year on out. The sort of urgency or the want to do very well can lead someone to think that they have to to jump on anabolics to improve their physique but i bet there's someone listening out there who's maybe maybe toying with the idea and they're like you know what i really want to stay natural and they've not spoke to to you you yet aj or someone of your caliber and so if someone's in that scenario what would you say to them and why sure so is this a first time competitor as well yeah, let's say let's say first time, or you know, even second time. Let's say first time. Take two examples. First time someone's like competed, or second time someone's like, right, to do well, I have to take this. So sure. both scenarios. Sure. So the first time competitor is bottom line, in my opinion, and I may be biased. You should definitely compete natural before you even consider anabolics, unless there's for some reason why you've had a path in your life where you've made a mistake or you've had to take TRT because of some sort of medical condition or something like that, you, you, you should definitely go down the natural route because how the hell do you find out whether you love the rigorous dieting, 
the lethargy, all of these things. And you've essentially, you know, to a degree, obviously we don't know when we're all going to die, but <laughs> you've probably shortened your life with the use of anabolic, anabolic steroids to, to just step on stage, which might be just once. And sometimes, you know, well, to a degree, you've probably affected your fertility as well. You might sacrifice relationships due to a disagreement. I just, just the absolute like path of things that you could do that's negatively affecting your bodybuilding journey as a result of that is is crazy. So, hundred percent compete natural. Definitely watch natural shows before you even consider competing. Get an idea of what the standards like. Get an idea of what you're going to be up against, um, and really sort of like just get get your feet wet and what to expect. And then you know go for it the first time and see see how you get on. Um, that's definite bottom line advice for someone who's first time competing. Um, definitely don't rush into it either because you know rushing into even even a prep as a natural is, is something that can definitely put pressure on relationships. It can put pressure on whatever job you have. Just like a whole host of things, so you have to be in the right position to be able to do it. Um, then in terms of the second time competitor who thinks you know you have to level up to, to move forwards I have to I have to take assistance then you know look around you and really consider what your goals are because this year I've had a lot I've had a few clients that have finished their contest season and um, immediately wanted to go towards the assisted side of things um, and then, you know that's fine and some of them have you know I'm not naming names but some of them have. And that that's that's fine because that's where their goals reside. So, the 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 goals for some of those people are within the IFBB realm. And if you wanted to say, oh, don't worry, mate, you, you can make it natural, then you're just being a fucking idiot because you're just not going to make it <laughs> unless you're absolutely top tier genetic freak. You're not going to get a pro card naturally in the IFBB. Yep. Even and Bridgman is a fine example. Even. In men's physique, you're not gonna, you know, no chance. You know, you're not you're just not gonna get there. Um, classic physique, not gonna get there. You know, so the whole idea of, of being a natural in the IFBB is is pretty much void. Um, so so if they were in that position, then of course I'd 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 make sure that they're aware of the pros and cons. I'd make sure that they consult with someone extremely well knowledgeable and ensure that they're taking all their relative health markers and monitoring those over a consistent period of time. Also financially in a position to be able to continue with usage because obviously as we know, once you're on, you're really not coming off. And <laughs> you change your yep. entire life as a result of that one decision. So you, um, you've got to be aware of, of that as well. And that's something that with some of my younger clients you have wanted to go down that route. I've been like, mate, you need to take this fucking seriously, because um, a lot of them are like willy nilly, like let's go and get all excited about it. I'm like, all right, well, you know, fasten your seatbelt because this could go pretty, pretty fucking bad, pretty fucking quick if you don't if you rush into this. So, um, so yeah, that's a, that's a big one. Um, and then uh, like, I think genetic potential comes into it as well to a degree. I think obviously personal goal chasing is definitely a, a cool thing, um, and uh, and like so for example, there might be someone that just just wants to see how big they can get and have like 
that is a personal goal of theirs and they know that they're not going to see that when they're still natural. So in that case, fine. Like, you know, at the end of the day, life's too short sometimes. And if you're on your deathbed and you're thinking, fuck, I wish I'd tried that, then go for it because you're going to regret it if you don't do it. So just do it. Um, my, my, my sort of side of things is like, I'm, I'm most likely never going to go down the assisted route like ever because I when I compete like I want to be ideally well I don't want to be ideal I want to be at the top like, I want to be winning and I want to be winning at a very good level and to I don't think I have the genetic potential to be winning at the top level as an assisted guy um, I just don't think I do um, so and obviously, you know that's putting myself down a little. But I just, I just don't think, I just don't think that I do. I think I, I'd be, I'd be lucky to win a pro cards. I'd be, uh, I'd be lucky to sort of get to top six placing at a pro show kind of thing, like that kind of thing. And it just that that to me to pour my life and soul into something and spend a lot of money on it just doesn't float my boat. So for me personally, it would be. Um, I'm always going to be a bit biased towards the thought process of, of staying down the natural route, but I am, like I've said, got clients that have gone down that route, so I'm not totally biased and I'm open to people goal chasing because ultimately that's what I'm doing. I'm chasing the goal. It just so happens that that goal can be attained naturally or has to be attained naturally, should I say. Um, so, yeah, I hope that makes sense. Yeah, dude, and I like that you were kind of open and honest and not only... You know, not not being down on yourself, but very much realistic. But like you're a guy that knows what he wants, and and you're going after it, and and ultimately that's more than than anyone could ask of of perhaps your clients as a coach, and um, but you're probably training partners as a as a part of themselves and and all that. So being aware of time, um, what I always ask listeners is, you know, what is perhaps the biggest lesson in life that they have been taught, and. Uh, how did you grow from it? So if you give us an idea um, and then we'll wrap things up thereafter, um, that'd be fab. Sure. Um, mm, it's pretty obvious in, in my mind, probably the biggest sort of life lesson that I learned. So for, for those that don't know, I, I lost my mum two years ago and um, I just learned in that moment that life can be taken from you very, very quickly. Life can take a turn like that. And uh, so I, I learned from that that you just, you just got to take every day as it comes and literally like learn, learn to sort of make the most of each day, um, spend time with family, friends, etc. As unfortunate as it was, it definitely brought me, you know, closer to, to my family, um, closer to spending, you know, time and making time important for my girlfriend you know, not being bothered about spending money on, on things that we want to go and we want to enjoy, uh, you know, going to the States and enjoying things like that. So, you know, like I've just been living life with a bit more focus and enjoying it and a bit less care about, oh, what, what about, you know, tomorrow? What about five years? Or what, what about mortgage and things like that? I've just been living life a little bit more freely, I guess, since that. Um, so, yeah, that's sort of, my my lesson matey yeah and i remember kind of 
a couple of years ago, I followed you for for a long time. Um, you going through it and you, that's where the hashtag be epic comes from, it isn't is. it? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And uh, I think you started a um, sort of a donation thing on was it crowd crowdfunding or or something like yeah, that? Yeah, what's the hospice that my mum is in? Yeah. And um, it was just amazing to see like you going through that, but then the the sort of British bodybuilding community getting behind you and showing their support. I think it it shows really that you know everybody's on it together and, and ultimately are on the same journey just in different paths and we should be uh there for each other um so i, I just thought that it would be good to share um for the listeners and i appreciate that mate um it, it, like i'm an emotional guy it gets me emotional even listening to you speak about that man so so thank you for sharing but less about me more about you so what i would say is that for those out there that have listened and thought this aj is a cracking guy i want his autograph i want to know where he lives where what his instagram handle is can you just give the listeners an idea of uh, you know where they can find your instagram email you um, and if you do them get your autograph <laughs> sure so uh in terms of instagram i'm just aj morris underscore I don't even know why I've got an underscore next to it, but I'm assuming that when I set it up, like when I was 12 or whatever, that <laughs> AJ Morris was taken. So um, AJ Morris underscore on Instagram. I've got a Team MBM Instagram, which is the same. It's just Team MBM underscore. And then uh, I I was very active on YouTube, um, and I will probably be more active on YouTube in 2020 with the sort of the prep side of things um, and I aim to get more into that um, currently there's a lot of video content on my on my membership site which is made by morriscoaching.com um, at the moment I'm at a bit of a crossroads as to where I go with that like whether I go full pelt and keep investing into it or whether I take away some time from that and put more, more uh, I'll be honest put more into YouTube and actually stop doing it so I'm, at a, I'm a bit of a crossroads with it to be honest because it's a nice it's a nice thing to have. Obviously, it brings in some subsidiary income, and it's that's nice. But at the end of the day, I'm not doing it for the money. Like I want to do something purely because I enjoy it, and I'm impacting people. Um, so I'm at, at sort of a bit of a crossroads with that one. Um, but because uh, there's so many people doing membership sites at the moment, and there's so many people doing membership sites very well, and I, you know, I definitely can't keep. I definitely can't keep up with someone like Jordan, for example, and how much content quality and information he puts out like it's just ridiculous it's i just crazy. cannot keep up with that um and uh you know I, I i think my audience on youtube is is good and if i put a little bit more time back into that again i could probably grow that up really well with the contest season so i'm just a bit of a crossroads with that one but there's still if you if you join it it's 4.99 a month and there is 250 videos on their backlog so there's there's a lot of old content on there that you that you can go through and, and there is still weekly content on it for now um whether that will continue or not i'm not sure um and uh and yeah that's pretty much it if you want to email me um just uh, my app like sort of coaching emails aj at made by morriscoaching.com and i am not currently got any coaching spots available as whenever this goes out in terms of taking on more people and spaces opening up, I might have some availability sort of coming into February, but I'm in a very fortunate position at the moment where I am definitely full up until sort of then. Um, but uh, yeah, appreciate people listening and uh, I hope uh, hope they took something from it. 
Awesome, man. Well, I think I could say um, for myself, uh, the brand, and you know, the listeners, you know, a massive thank you for your insight. Um, I think that the sort of knowledge bombs that they'll get, but also the the influence that they'll get for someone, because whether you know or not, man, a lot of people look up to you. Um, I know as hell, sh- sure as hell I did as a coach, but I'm sure there will be a lot of athletes out there as well that um, they'll watch your, you know, your videos doing that that hack squat, uh, that pendulum squat, or whatnot, and they'll just be like, fuck. That, that inspires them to be better so for you to come on uh, for an hour and share your, your information freely um, is, is amazing but I think uh, I, I speak for both uh, me and AJ uh, when I say that whatever you are um, whatever you do give it the beans <laughs>